What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. Throughout the month of December, we are writing a ton of year-end reviews on the site, ranking the best and worst moments of 2018 in music, TV, film, and sports. You can check that out on TheRinger.com. Also, make sure to listen to the two latest additions to The Ringer Podcast Network. We've got Villains with Shea Serrano and Winging It with Vince Carter and Kent Bazemore. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See, we are back. Donnie Kwok here, East Coast Bureau Chief of the Ringer, joined as always by my main man, Micah Peters. What's up, Micah? I was late to practice, but if you really think about it, I was actually on time. Right. Chris Ryan is going to join us in a little bit. We have a very great episode lined up for you guys because we have a very special guest, a Premier League legend, in fact. We're also going to go over the odds and ends of world football over the last two weeks. But first... Champions League reactions. Spurs and Liverpool are through. Micah, let's start with Spurs. They had to go to camp now. They needed a result. They need to match the result of Inter versus PSV. And then seven minutes into it, Usman Dembele, who that's what I was referring to, showed up to practice late in the middle of the week after scoring for Barcelona at the weekend. Oh, scored that was again. the reference. Sorry, yeah. that whooshed over my head. It's totally He was fine. two hours late. He was... Not for the first time. He was balling, though. Uh, he, in the first seven minutes uh, against against Tottenham, you know, quick counterattack, just kind of, it, it, you know, like he was doing that thing where he basically moves as if everybody else is moving in slow motion, cut across Harry Winks. Harry Winks may still be sliding. Uh, at the moment, uh, but then finished at the near post, and it was it was gorgeous. It was very good. Usman Dembele is and very we good. We should at note that we should note that the only reason he was starting is because Barca had already sealed the top spot in Group B, so they essentially started a B team. No Suarez, no Messi to start. Yeah, uh, you know. Spurs obviously needed a result, but they were a little shorthanded. They had to start Kyle Walker. Walker Peters, another one of those great hyphenated English names at right back. Mm-hmm. They did. So Barca took the early lead. Uh, PSV also took an early lead uh, at the San Siro on a Herving Lozano header. Yes. So PSV were up, Barca were up, and then in the second half, late in the second half of each game, everything changed. Yes, late in the se- okay. So basically, late in the second half of the the Barca Spurs game. Uh, Actually, let me just say, everything didn't necessarily change because at 1-0 Barca, 1-0 PSV, Spurs and Barca were going to go through. Spurs and Barca were going to go through. Which is ultimately what happened. But in the Inter-PSV game, Icardi Uh, scored. Exactly. Playboy Icardi scored in the 73rd minute. Playboy Icardi. Just ruining everybody's day, you know. Um, it It was thrilling. It was great. And then... Spurs brought on a second striker, and Barcelona didn't change their defensive shape at all. <laughs> so, Although they did bring on Messi, uh, they did bring on Messi, but you know um, the the, the Messi as a sub is, is a flex. It's, and a it, half. it really is. I mean, like being able to just bring on, you know, like all right, here's now that we couldn't actually, you know, crack this wall with a sledgehammer. I'm gonna bring out this machine gun that shoots nukes. <laughs> so like it's yeah so I mean but anyway Spurs brought on a second striker Barca didn't really change their defensive shape at all the spacing was the exact same as when 
Spurs only had one striker on the field, and Lucas Moura scores. Uh, they equalize right at the end, and Spurs 85th minute. Uh, yeah, and that goal, well, I mean, obviously they had to hold on to the end, and, and had Inter scored uh, another goal, uh, Spurs would have been out. But credit to Spurs, because it was the opposite of Spursy. They actually came through. And uh, I don't know, I had the Spurs game on my laptop. I had Inter PSV on my phone. So one eye on each game. There were a fucking shitload of chances in both games. It was They were both really, really entertaining. I mean, the only thing I can say negative about the Spurs-Barca match was Steve Nash doing color commentary. <laughs> you didn't enjoy him atrocious. losing his mind about every single, like, every time. he was time like, the- come on, Sonny. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to reference that. It was just, uh, there was this, uh, like, later on in the first half, there was just uh, Erickson sprung Sonny on a long through ball, and it was, you know, it, it maybe something would come of it. And <laughs> you just hear Steve Nash grunting in the mic, come on, Sonny. It was Stu Holden and Steve Nash. And I mean, I guess they weren't abject, but there were some long swaths of silence as well. And it was just awkward. It was like watching, what was it? It was like watching two guys watching TV. Well, and yeah. Not, I mean, and like just like was, bantering. Yeah, it was too... It, they were. They could have just as easily been sitting on the couch watching this game and not in a studio. Yeah, I mean, imagine being TNT or Bleacher Report or whatever, spending hundreds of millions for the rights to the Champions League and having Steve Nash doing a crunch match. It's kind of silly. Anyway, Liverpool are through, much to the delight of Chris Ryan and our departed Ryan O'Hanlon. It was 1-0 over Napoli. Who else scored but Mo Salah? Uh, PSG also won 4-1 to one over Red Star Belgrade. So as many predicted, PSG and Liverpool are through. Did you watch any of the Liverpool match? Yes, Mike? I did. Uh, I just want to have a just a, a quick word on Mario Rui. I feel... Who is so- Mario Rui? Okay, so do you remember that really funny clip that was making the rounds on the internet? It was basically Mbappe drifts over to the right corner and is, you know, doing some step overs, rounding around the top of the box, and Kaladu Koulibaly pushes a player into position so that they don't get beat. That's Mario Rui that he was pushing into position. And really, <laughs> this after this today it was more of the same against Liverpool. Uh Rui was just kind of leaving Koulibaly out to dry with uh, Mo Salah. There was also, I mean, like he was just absolutely shocking defensively and offensively. It's, and he has been starting the entire year for Napoli. It's, it's baffling. So anyway, are you saying Salah's goal was his fault? Uh, Not necessarily. Rui's fault? I'm not saying all of that, but I'm saying that Rui just had a, had a bit of a, I'm just saying that he had a shocker today is all. And a particular one that deserves to be called out in particular, on this podcast. So, Liverpool, PSG are through. Uh, There's a bunch more Champions League uh, group stage matches, the final match day six uh, tomorrow, but none of them are really of any consequence because all the teams are basically set. It's just basically who's finishing first or second. The draw for the round of 16 is next Monday. Now, let's bring in Chris Ryan. What's up, Chris guys? Ryan, are you there? Yeah, you're I'm, like I'm the here. Mesi- you're like the Mesut Ozil of FC, just very sometimes. Just playing Fortnite and nursing this bad back. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? Nice to be back. What's up, Chris? Aren't you Welcome. happy that Liverpool are through? Yeah, man. It's weird because I the, recently with the Liverpool fan community, um, there's been this discussion about whether or not to punt on Europe. Uh, to go for the league this year, to have everybody concentrating on the same 
the same piece of silverware. And Liverpool, obviously, is you know it's been decades since they won the the top division in Europe in England. And they they made it to the Champions League final last year. They made it to the Europa League final the year before that. It's it's really a complicated question because on one hand, you know, it's just you want to go for everything. But on the other hand, as you can see just from the way the table tilted by by uh, Manchester City dropping points to Chelsea over the weekend, I mean, it's just going to be such a fine margin. All the numbers are suggesting that City is going to walk away with it. But like, as long as Liverpool can keep punching, I don't know. Sometimes I don't really want to see them go off and like waste time at Shakhtar. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a win-win, though, because making it out of the group stage is, like, at the bare minimum, and you pass that. Yeah, so right. It's like a, quote-unquote, successful season now. Yeah. 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 All right, so let's go over some of the talking points that happened since our last episode. I should confess here that I just, I mean, it's not really a confession, but I just came back from vacation, so I didn't watch a ton of football over the weekend. I watched Match of the Day and some highlights and stuff. Guess, guess where I went, guys? Did you go? Did you go to Buenos Aires because you had already booked the tickets? <laughs> but then you found out the Copa Libertadores. <laughs> I was throwing Molotov cocktails at team buses. Now I'll give you a hint. It, I'll, I'll do a rap line, and you just fill in the blank. Ready? We on the blank on a yacht with our favorite albums, a bad hoe, and a plate of salmon. We on the Riviera. <laughs> I don't know. I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second. And the most recent episode of the Rewatchables, the film takes place. You went to Memphis. Large- <laughs> <laughs> the other location. God damn it, Cayman Islands. Oh my god! <laughs> you had like a red stripe, and you were dancing with Hackman. That's great, Reggae man. And red stripe, helping our everybody white go listen to for over uh, fifty years. Everybody go listen to Chris, Bill, and Sean on the Rewatchables talking about the firm. Did you get off the plane just shouting Obama blood clot yang? <laughs> <laughs> uh, something like that. I also have to ask, say one more thing. I was just noticing in Slack today, Micah, you've been keeping the secret from us. You actually have a dog mm-hmm. that you've named Jisung after Pak Jisung of Manchester United. That's yes. amazing. Yes, I have. Tell, tell us the quick story of how you got this dog and why you named him after uh, this United player. Um, he is a rescue from a Korean meat farm. Uh, he is adorable and very happy, but he has very short legs, but he's not afraid of anything. <laughs> wow. Sounds and, like Jisung. Uh, and he is a ty- like he's a tireless runner, so he's three long sung. It looks know? like an Ewok. He does look a little <laughs> bit like an Ewok. Amazing. I don't know if you put him on any of your socials, Micah, but you should because he would be very popular. All right, so let's go into these quick talking points. First of all, did you guys watch MLS Cup? Because of course, man. Congrats to Atlanta United. So I was actually seconds. leaving Portland on Sunday, you know, the day mm. after the game. Uh-huh. Or two days. It was a Saturday was a game or Friday? Saturday. Saturday. So Portland was actually like arriving back from Atlanta on Sunday as I was leaving and there was a ton of people there to greet the plane. Mm-hmm. So, wow. I mean... God bless the Portland Timbers fans. Look, man, we Atl- Atlanta won 2-0, of course. Yeah, Joseph and Martina Atlanta scored. was, I think, I mean... I, I would I would have to defer to Matt James here, but I thought Atlanta was the class of the league, even though I think Red Bull like set like point records, right? Yeah, right. but I, I, Atlanta was the team that I most enjoyed watching at MLS this year, and uh, probably deserved champions. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, another thing that, but we can't we can't let this pass without saying that the Atlanta United team then took the MLS Cup out to Magic City after the game. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Honestly. You know Wait, what's Magic City, Micah? <laughs> yeah, is that is that a Korean meat farm? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, you know if if you don't 
Magic City is a strip club, all right, guys. Don't yeah, get so yeah, bashful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, I mean, like, it's not. I'm not really. I'm not bashful. I'm just saying. It's just modern like, dance uh, happens nobody, everywhere. Nobody wants to have to explain that to anybody. It's where do you just, think? Where do you think Atlanta United would finish if they were in the Premier League? I gotta say, I still think that's like championship level. MLS is still championship level. I think that they could t- on any given night they could take it to one of the Premier League teams. Like I'm not saying they're like that far off, but I don't. You think mean like in terms I think of they like get relegated. over a 35 yeah. games? Yeah. yeah. Reported 1.5 million viewers. This is the second highest viewed MLS Cup ever. And Miguel Almiron, the midfielder, reportedly on his way to Newcastle. Speaking of the Premier League, all right, moving on. Copa Libertadores finally completed. Oft postponed second leg. It was played at the Bernabeu. River Plate won three to one. Ryan O'Hanlon, rest in peace, favorite. Juan Quintero, extra time goal, broke the deadlock. Extra time goal, broke the deadlock. Did you guys watch the game? What a long, strange trip it's been for this. (laughs) I mean, honestly. And then what a ding-dong of a second final. Like, it was just, like, up and down. Like, most cup finals, most, most, you know, like, final matches are pretty cagey. Nobody wants to be the person who makes the mistake that gives away a trophy. But holy crap, this they, was both teams everywhere. went after each other in this. It was like they, it was honestly, <laughs> like there was, no, I could not, I could not call it. At any point in the game, I could not call it until like, you know, obviously towards the end. But it was just, I mean, overflowing with like the nervous tension. Again, it's like the first leg where the game never really settled down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Quintero I mean, like, was a monster. Uh, I, I thought that obviously it's going to be a final that always has its aster- an asterisk on it. And it's a shame because right. it would have been such a showcase for Argentinian football to have it be a Buenos Aires derby in two legs. But, you know, I mean, I think that this has been one of the, the sort of themes of the last couple of weeks, Donnie, is basically been the way in which soccer can reflect the real world. And sometimes the real world invades soccer, you know, like in terms of the issues that we're talking about. Should we just go right into Raheem Sterling now? Well, we can talk about it. Yeah, I mean, you have down here Chelsea topple City 2-0. Uh, and then your question was, are you surprised? And it's like, I'm not surprised, but I think that the the sort of bloom came off the rose a little bit with that game because what everybody was talking— The bloom off talking, of what rose? The City rose? No, <laughs> just just the, the Chelsea's win. Chelsea, Chelsea cracking a City's unbeaten streak because— Obviously, what we wound up talking about uh, afterwards was the kinds of abuse that Raheem Sterling is subjected to, the way in which he's covered in the English media, instead of talking about like a, a really excellent, cagey, counterattacking game played by Chelsea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the game itself was very entertaining, but the, the field-level cameras, anytime that uh, Raheem Sterling would, you know, trail off into the corner, you know, like Lord David Luiz over there to, you know, go one-on-one, you would just see... All of the fans, like nearest the ground, just s- sneering and snarling and saying all I mean, this. Devil's crazy advocate shit. here, though. Would, would it have been different if it were David Silva or whomever? Yeah, and you could play devil's advocate. Would it have been different if it's in Anfield? Like, I think that there is a reputation that Chelsea fans, in certain aspects, have of being a little bit punchy on that on that particular topic. I mean, like, like let's not say, on the train platform, yeah, I mean, uh, like, we're racist, we're racist, and yeah. that's the way we like it. I, you don't want to brush the, the whole fan base with one, you know, with one color there, but, like, I think that there they had there is a little bit of a reputation to live down, and then it opened up a much larger conversation about the way in which the English media has treated Sterling. Right, and, of course, Raheem Sterling posted on Instagram, well, so there was a big furor over what this Chelsea fan or Chelsea fans allegedly shouted to Raheem Sterling. And then the following day, he posted on Instagram, not about that particular incident, not even about himself. 
He did a side-by-side of two Daily Mail stories, one about his team, two teammates, Tosin Adarabio, sorry, I don't pronounce it, didn't pronounce his name right. He hasn't played for City yet. And one of Phil Foden. And it, the, the stories were about similar things. Each of those players, young players, bought their mother's homes. But the headlines were completely different. One kind of suggesting that it was a reckless purchase. The other one just more straightforward. That one, of course, referring to Phil Foden, the white player. And Sterling wrote a long caption about how uh, it's not necessarily even the fans to blame for this, but the media for kind of fostering these attitudes. And consciously or unconsciously, the public absorbs uh, these types of POVs. And I thought that actually led to some really nuanced and interesting discussions in the British media. It's, it's interesting to me because, you know, like in America, we would be aghast or, you know, couldn't even fathom really someone throwing a banana skin at a player at like an NFL game or an NBA game. Uh, and yet that happens in England and throughout Europe. But what I found interesting is listening to English podcasts and, and reading uh, English media, they've have, it really has sparked an interesting discussion, a nuanced discussion about their coverage and treatment of black athletes, more nuanced and uh, more kind of introspective than I think we talk about when we talk about race in America as it relates to athletes. I don't yeah, know what you there's, guys found. There's a really good piece in The Guardian written by Daniel Taylor where he recounts some of his past as a uh, just a kind of like shoestring reporter working in the Midlands in the 90s and just working on kinds of stories that he would... He talks about like one time he was working on a story about um, a, a missing kid, like a car had been stolen with a baby in the backseat, a little baby girl. And they went to this press conference that was supposed to be the mother making a public plea, like if you have any information about the location of this baby. And when they show up, the mother is of Indian descent. And you know, a bunch of the reporters start stirring because they know that automatically the front page of the papers, the, the, the editors of the papers are going to kind of turn a blind eye to this story because it's not going to connect with white readers, that mm-hmm. it's not going to appeal to white readers. And Daniel Taylor was like, I feel like I have some insight into the way that these things work. And he points out a couple of examples over the course of the last few years of not only just like the crazy abuse that Raheem Sterling has to s- suffer at grounds across England or in Europe, but also just the way in which they twist anything he does into some, like, look at this flash prince, princeling dancing across England and just throwing money around, when in fact he's a pretty generous, loving, a loving son, a generous member of society, and really is no different than any other uh, Premier League player. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. on top of that, he balls. Like, the thing is that it's, it's, I mean, to the point where he's... And I'm a fucking like Liverpool really fan. About, I am mad at Ronnie yeah. Sterling, but this is just like, uh, this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to the point where it's just like, if everything is a headline, it's to the point where he doesn't want to leave the house because he's just like, anything I say, anything I say or do can be misconstrued and then turned around against me. I got to read you what the Suns, what the Sun uh, released a statement in, re- in response to this. And it says, the Sun says, let's get something straight. The racist abuse of Ryan Sterling at Chelsea is not somehow the Sun's fault. We hope those allegedly responsible get what they deserve. We hugely admire Sterling's talent. Our coverage of his off-field behavior has nothing to do with skin color. <laughs> the suggestion is ridiculous and offensive, and the idea inspire, inspire, that an inspired racist is baseless. His media mates should engage their brains before dishing out accusations without a shred of evidence. And which, we think they protested too much. He didn't even call out the Sun. He, was, uh, he called out the Daily Mail. Which, I mean, is the same kind of dumbass thing as saying, like, you're the real racist for calling me a racist. Yeah, you know, like that's it's and on top of that, yeah, there's been nuanced discussion about it, but I think that by and large, a lot of football media members, personalities, people have been saying, you know, like 
this has been going on for a while. They also and, see it as a lot of people see it as an extension of banter culture. Yeah, it's just like, and, and on top of that, it's, it's like, like if like, I make fun of you because of your race, it's also like I'm making fun of you because of the country you're from, or because you play for a Manchester team or or a Merseyside team, and then it's all like, yeah, it's, and it's all bands. and it's really just like you don't know the difference because you don't experience it, right. and it's just like you know the the responses will be like, say Pep Guardiola is saying, yeah, yeah, racism happens everywhere, it's bad, like. But Sterling is a good person. And it's just everybody is ad- adopting this we need to help, quote unquote, thing. And it's yeah. just like that's useless to everyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like the racial abuse at the grounds is probably the least interesting thing. I mean, obviously, it's bad and needs to be stamped out. But these deeper sort of issues and sort of the subtle racism in the media, I think, is the more interesting issue. And in fact, I think one of the most incisive pieces of commentary I saw was a back and forth between Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher on Sky Sports. Yeah. I think they transcribed it on Football 365 if you can't see the clip. But Gary Neville was talking about his time with the English team as a assistant and how Raheem was confiding in him about, you know, the abuse he was taking in the media. And it caused Neville to reflect, I think, about how... How he talks past, about guys, right? Totally. And yeah. also how, like, you know, Beckham and Rooney and these guys were abused in certain ways, but it was like, it was different. And, and how Sterling you know, the, the heat he gets from the media is unique because he's a black player and he's, it's the same for other black players. I thought it was a really kind of informed commentary on the situation. Yeah, so it, was I, acknowledgement I of the, it. it was an acknowledgement of the problem. Which it, is, it's also worth thinking about in context of like the current state of England um, because they're coming out it. of a couple of years where uh, the some some aspects of the media were instrumental in ramping up fear about immigration and about uh, economics that were directly tied to this, like, basically, be scared of foreigners. Be scared of these people who are coming to take your jobs. Be scared of open borders and, like, the lessened security that will happen. And that's one debate. But these papers sell papers based on fear. And they're and and maybe they don't or anger, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make people angry at Raheem Sterling because simply saying uh, Raheem Sterling was like a six out of ten today or a seven out of ten today is not enough for like most people when they read the paper. They need to be like, he was a six out of ten, and how dare he not be a ten out of ten? Looking at his like weekly salary. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least nobody told him shut up and dribble. (laughs) (laughs) Christ. <laughs> should we should we talk a little bit about the actual game though? Um, yeah, let's. Yeah, D- David Luiz. David David Luiz with a with a very nice glancing header after you know barreling into Raheem Sterling and then him going off you know like injured quote let's, unquote. Let's not forget the very nice sixty yard pass. The very opened the first goal. Yeah, up. it was honestly. It, there there are three passes that I've rewatched a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it's. The the Boca pass Benjamin Pavard Benjamin Pavard um, then the Boca pass that started the counterattack that led to Boca's goal in the in the second leg of the Copa Libertadores and this one from David Luiz because it is just honest it's it was like I I, I felt like it should have just all of a sudden string music started playing when he played that ball. I also thought it was a nice uh, bow marker on where we are at with Eden Hazard because that first goal that Conte scored was a direct result of Hazard baiting, I think, almost four city defenders into surrounding him. And he just finds that cutback pass. And Conte has that Lampard-esque, like, crashing the box late 
finish. Incredible goal. But a lot of it is based on the fact that Hazard has now entered the realm of like you have to throw everything at him when he's in a dangerous position like that. And it completely screws up people's final third defenses. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that though, because like he he was put he was playing the false nine uh for the first you know, like yeah, they didn't start with a striker. Yeah, yeah. they didn't start with a striker. Um, and it was just kind of like they Chelsea, despite having, you know, whatever kind of run of form, were just like we're going to absorb pressure and we're yeah. just going to, you know, like try to hit you on the break. And it wasn't really working. Well, it didn't seem cynical as much as they were like, we need to shorten this game. Exactly. We cannot go punch for punch for ninety, but we can maybe do it for like thirty-five. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like it was. Kind of almost as if, you know, Chelsea's sword had a blunt tip for the first, like, half hour, really. But then, yeah, I mean, like, Hazard just kind of drifted off to the left and carried half of the back line with him, which opened up all sorts of space It wasn't for really undisciplined either, Donnie, because you could tell, like, all those guys were basically like, I can't be the dude who walked away from Hazard <laughs> in the situation. Yeah. And, and they actually played it somewhat right. And I think that that is sort of one of the more interesting parts about this Chelsea team. People have critiqued Sorry for deploying... Uh, Conte in this more of a box-to-box midfielder rather than as the the sort of defensive minder of the, of the midfield. Mm-hmm. And he's li- using Jorginho in that deeper-lying role. And Conte is kind of flying up and down and not maybe uh, doing as much disruption as he usually does. But hell, I mean, he must have seen something. And like, I bet that City was maybe had like looked a little confused about like, oh crap, here comes oh, now we Angolo Conte coming first. in like a torpedo and he bangs <laughs> that one in the back of the net. I don't know if you guys saw Hazard's post-match interview, but he was kind of bemused talking about his role on that day and not being used to not having the ball at his feet uh, very often playing in the center. So I still don't really believe in Chelsea. I mean, that was a great performance, obviously, but until they have a striker that they can count on, it says a lot about how sorry feels about Murata and Giroud that neither of them started against City. Uh, I yeah. feel like they're going to be, you know, third, fourth, fifth. Uh, I don't think they're going to they're not contenders without a number nine, in my opinion. I probably agree with that. Yeah. Not, not in a year uh, like this. Moving on to Arsenal. Um, they haven't lost. Donnie, have you gotten to talk time. about the Derby, man? Do you want to just do Should we clear out for you? Do we need to hose you down a little bit? <laughs> well, yeah, the North London Derby happened in between the last episode and this episode. I don't have much to say other than I did watch it. I watched the second half. What are you on like, tranquilizers what are you, right what now? What are you talking about? You? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Lucas like, Torreira like outed himself as like one of like top three midfielders I mean, in the two Premier matches League. Have happened he's not three. Then. Yeah, I'm. I'm just two, saying. Like, two matches have happened since then. I mean, I was obviously on a high throughout the second half of that match and in the aftermath, and I watched the match over and over again. It was brilliant. It was amazing, and. I'm st- I'm, I was impressed that they came away with a point at Old Trafford, even though they probably should have won. And then winning against uh, Huddersfield was also, you know, at the death, uh, the type of match, as some would say, that Arsenal usually don't win or haven't won in the past. So everything's promising. I, I kind of wanted to double click on the fact that half of their team was doing nitrous at a London nightclub <laughs> over the summer, though. And then boys they had be their boys, best man. ever. You take seven start. points from Tottenham United and Huddersfield, they can smoke as much hippie crack as they want to. <laughs> that was the sun, actually, the aforementioned sun calling it hippie crack. I think nitrous is a <laughs> pretty nitrous and Ni- nitrous is actually legal, is it not? Is it legal in? Yeah, I think it's, it's, like, it's legal it's everywhere. We're, we're a bunch of DEA agents here. How, how do we know? <laughs> um, another major, actually, this happened on the day we recorded our last episode, but after we got off the air pivoting quickly to the USMNT. 
after 14 months, they finally do have a full-time coach. It's Greg Berhalter. Uh, his contract runs through 2022 World Cup. He's 45 years old. He's from New Jersey. 44 caps as a center back. He played six seasons professionally in Holland. Also had a stint with Crystal Palace, I think like 19 games. And he also played for the Galaxy. Most recently, he was the manager of Columbus Crew. I don't know too much about him, but he's supposed to be very tactics-oriented. I guess that's what they say about most managers. <laughs> As opposed Emphasizes, to the guys who aren't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't give a shit about well, tactics. Well, I mean, no, like... He's supposed to like Harry Steps-oriented, yeah. I think, more like... I don't know. I, yeah. I'm fine with the hire. I don't know that it really needed to take 14 months to arrive at this guy. I think that my issue... Do you guys is, care that his older brother is that's like my the second highest Yeah, I do that's, care. That's, I do care. Soccer? I do like, think I, it, it just reeks of kind of like cronyism. Yeah, just... it just Yeah. We could have we could have had this without the farce of a 14-month search for a new coach. I mean, like, Greg Borhalter is, is is a fine choice. My issue is with the process that it took to get to Greg Borhalter. Yeah. So yeah. You got, are you suggesting that he was maybe a plan B, C, or even D? And it was kind of like a process of elimination I'm of those candidates? I'm saying that it's like, how can we possibly know, like, how thorough or, you know, reason the search actually was? I also think that there's just an element here where they're still trying to figure out their identity as a national side. I think that there was some argument to be made that they could have waited even longer and seen who came up for air after the the club season this year. Mm, right. So whether that would be even a Mourinho, you know what I mean? Like as, as far-fetched as that. Look, I mean, like he said he wants to like coach national teams and he's running out His of club sides to States. run. And yeah. he's running out of club sides to run. You yeah. know what I mean? So in, unless he wants to drop down a tier, he doesn't have that many other like elite European clubs to manage other than PSG and maybe Bayern. And I can't imagine him lasting in Bayern for more than two weeks given the setup over there. So right. uh, I think that I think that like that was like thrown out there. There's a bunch of people you could kind of like consider. But at the end of the day, they decided to go with what I think is an ultimately like kind of an anonymous Choice Safe and choice. given Safe the choice. how like the roiling kind of tides of U.S. soccer over the last fifteen months, maybe it's the smartest one. Let me pivot back to Arsenal really quick because I do feel vindicated in one way. Guess which way that is? <laughs> um, the fact that Mesut Ozil is now a pariah for all Arsenal fans, not just me. I, what, what, are you, really, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. What you, so what, so I, you think that, like, I, I don't, I, I feel like you're an army of one here, man. So you not only are you like, you're like. No, I, I read the blogs. I see the, 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 the boards. People that were resolute Ozil defenders are now turning. Well, are they because, turning or are they just like, we're fine without him? Yeah, maybe more of the latter. But I, I do think that. So this is a you thing. <laughs> 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 I'm just I'm, I, I just want to I just want to make sure we're keeping each other honest here I just it's funny because if we were to do like a word cloud of every word I've spoken on FC Ozil would probably be the biggest word and for you Micah Pogba would probably be the biggest word and, and those are the two guys in the Premier League that are probably the most underperforming underachieving players as far as on on their level I just, I, I, I just curious. Like, I, I don't. I don't know Chris, you that disagree? there's. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of guys who are underperforming. I think that they have inc- incredible. I mean, Pogba hasn't even been on the bench for the last two matches, and he's because well, he's fallen out with Mourinho. He's fallen out with Mourinho, and I mean, let's be honest. When he was back in the team sheet in that two-two draw against Southampton, he was very disappointing. Like, I mean, the perform- I'm not going to say that. Like, I I got nothing good to say about that game for him, but 
Yeah, I mean, like I think it's more so there. There's underperforming players all the league over. These it's just the fact that these are marquee players that were big signings that had announcement videos and everything, and they that's are that's probably a fair way to say. And it I think that one, those two guys play a different game and are on different teams that are in different situations. So while I understand why you're grouping them together, and I think that there are some similarities in like the size of their <laughs> wages and what they give their club on a week to week basis. I do think that Ozil, to me, is kind of like, what did you think he was? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he's a he's a flashy number 10 who's one of the best passers of the football in the world. And he's probably on the downslope of his athletic prime, but can still be kind of useful. And you just have to play him in a way in which he causes the least amount of damage when you're defending. Pogba, I think, is a, is a mystery box because I think... You know, he just won the World Cup. Like, Pogba's really so, fucking good at football. Like, and it's just... Clearly, Mourinho is trying to break him and then rebuild him a la Luke Shaw, and it's not going to work. He's just yeah. going to go somewhere else. Well yeah. said. Well, well said. I think the only fitting conclusion to all of this is for Ozil to join United in January, which <laughs> is a persistent rumor. I wouldn't say there's a fire, but there's definitely smoke. So, I even saw a rumored Ozil versus Sanchez swap. Alexis Sanchez back to the Arsenal, which would be... Hilarious. That would actually make a lot of sense for Arsenal. I mean, Sanchez yeah. is much, way more of an Unai Emery player than he was an Arsene Wenger player, wasn't totally. he? You know what I mean? Totally. A spark plug running around, pressing yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, for City, real quick, there's a story here, you know, with all the Der Spiegel leaks, that City, because of violating reportedly uh, FFP, the financial fair play rules, uh, there's a report that UEFA could ban them from the Champions League as early as next season. Do you guys think UEFA has the sec to do that? No. Or is this one no, of those I do FFP not. stories that just goes away? PSG <laughs> is in for Frankie de Jong for $75 million. Yeah. So financial fair play is fake. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I just wake me up when this finally happens. I know that there are some clubs out there like Inter got dinged by it. There's, there's like clubs here and there who have had like restrictions placed on I think Barca had like a transfer ban for a little while, but that might have been because they were, well, I think that was not, it was an FFP. I think that was actually like, some sort of like youth soccer thing like they were going after like kids who and like I, I can't remember what the Barcelona thing was I can look it up but have we ever had like a significant ban for a club that is as popular as as Manchester City is yeah I mean what we, we we've, we've seen sanctions like Barcelona was prevented from what they had like a couple quiet transfer windows or something like that in the recent past if I recall correctly I mean Atletico also well, the summer that it mo it seemed most likely that Antoine Griezmann would be joining United or leaving Atletico anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, UEFA is talking tough now, but like you guys, I don't think they have the gumption to, to... I mean, it would definitely make everyone in world football stand up if Manchester City were banned from Champions League, but uh, I can't see it happening either. Yeah, the Barcelona thing was they were found to have violated Article 19 and FIFA regulations um, on the transfer of players by signing international players under the age of 18. Mm. And they got what? And then they appealed and they were able to sign Luis Suarez and Ivan Rakitic. <laughs> <laughs> so. Can't ban the snowman. Yeah. Did you guys see the trailer for the new, there's a new Netflix all-access soccer series seemed to be all the rage. It's coming out globally this Friday. It's Sunderland Till I Die. Uh, I, did, I, did not I did not. I didn't see that trailer, but honestly, it's pretty gripping. It's about them being relegated and and being in the championship, and sort of it looks like kind of like a an English kind of a sad story, but about kind of like grittiness of the Sunderland faithful. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, am I selling it well? I 
I I don't I don't know, but I mean like in terms of you know, like what the show functionally is, which is a docuseries about a professional soccer team. I would I would watch if I can watch the Cleveland Browns like for ten episodes, I can absolutely watch Sunderland. I love all of these. All or nothing. Uh, it'll, be hard to, it'll be hard to top the the Juventus one, but I, I'm sure I watch this. Yeah, I mean, like, is there a team that you wish we had all access? Uh, access I would want to see Leeds with Marcelo Bielsa. Whew. And I th- how are they doing? By the way, uh, I think they're still in the playoff. starting off. They're still unbeaten. in the playoff positions. Okay, that's good. Mike is there. Imagine Jose opening. His yeah, they're second. The uh, I. Would like I would <laughs> like one of these down Pogba. No, I want I want one of these I want one of these series about uh, Kaiser Chiefs, um, just because. I mean, and solely off of the strength of, I mean, their players getting punished for showboating and late in games, like actually getting sanctions for it. So, um, yeah, this is kind of like the the logical progression of 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 my Pogba fixation. Finally, uh, Chris, you actually brought this up in our Slack, kind of a sort of a random question, but I think you were inspired by watching the last Burnley match at Turf Moor. Turf Moor, yeah, was it, I was watching was that Liverpool and, Burnley. Where uh, oh right, Liverpool Burnley at Turf Moor, and of course last year, last year on your vacation, you visited Craven Cottage. I did, which is of course no. Fulham actually, I was ground. at uh, Loftus Road. I saw Fulham play at QPR. Oh, you were. Yeah. Okay, but sorry. still, it but, still goes along with like the cool names for stadiums thing. Yeah, though. actually, just why don't you introduce this? Well, I was just kind of thinking about how much better it would be if American stadiums had the same kind of uh, charm and charisma in their naming as English football grounds. So you've got like Craven Cottage and Old Trafford and Anfield, uh, and before they moved White Hart Lane. Uh, even Stamford Bridge, House of Free Speech uh, Apologists. <laughs> um, but I was thinking, like, what would happen if you had, like, if this stadiums in the States did that? So instead of, like, everything being named after a bank or an airline, like, it, you started using whether it was, like, some historical element of the city or just, like, the more specifically the geographic location. So, like, in Philly... It used to be like that, right? It did like used to be like that. Or like they, would, Field. they would have things like... It would just be called the Vet, and it was Veteran Stadium, right. or it was right, RFK, right, right. or JFK, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, in Philly, like, there's a complex of stadiums and arenas at uh, on Broad Street, and I was just like, why, why can't they just call it Broad Street? Why can't it be like when you're going to play the Eagles, you're playing at Broad Street instead of the Lincoln Financial Field? I like the link. So, it would be fine. so much better. Yeah. yeah, but it would be so much yeah. better. So, do you have one for New Orleans? Like, can we get the Superdome and change it to something? I mean, like, is the Superdome sponsored? The it- yes, the Mercedes Benz Superdome. Yeah, and it sits basically on. Well, it's on Sugar Bowl. The the address is Sugar Bowl Drive, but it's off of Poydras Street and like Gerard Street. So, I think Poydras Street, maybe. I'd like. I don't know. I'd, Sugar Bolt. I don't know about that one. Sugar, I think, I think like corporations should only be able to sponsor one stadium. So the Atlanta one is Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yeah, that's and they corny. Also have the yeah. Superdome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck out of here. No, no more monopolies. I Wait, just so what would you call it? I, so what would you call it? Poitras? I would probably call it the I'd Fortress Poitras. Fortress yeah! Poitras. <laughs> Donnie, what's a DMV place you want to change? Well, you know what the. The place where the Washington Capitals, the defending Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals play is called, fittingly, kind of, Capital One Arena. When I was growing up, they used to play in the Capital Center, so it kind of fits. I mean, Capital One is obviously a bank, so 
it's still corporate. Um, I don't know. I mean, they play in Chinatown, so I guess you could do something like Dragon's Lair or something. I don't know. Is that a little <laughs> is that, is that insensitive? I don't know. It's to you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call it the Dragon's Lair in Chinatown. Okay. So. All right. Let's give a quick shout out to University of Maryland, actually, speaking of the DMV. They won the NCAA Men's Soccer Championship, I guess it is. Did you guys see any of that? No, I did not. No. Do they have any? I, I have to, uh, the only one, the only other game that I wanted to talk about from the last couple of weeks that we didn't talk about, and Donnie, we can talk about NCAA soccer if you want to. You're the host. I mean, I have no nothing about it other than Maryland won. So <laughs> was just uh, if you, to ask if you guys got a chance to see um, Schalke versus Dortmund. Uh, no, was that the Jaden Sancho game? Yeah, so Jaden Sancho scored the game winner. It was like two. It was two one Dortmund, uh, and Jaden Sancho scored the game winner. Uh, and it was only a couple of days after his grandmother passed away. He had flown back, like, and 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 decided to play, even though uh, Lucien Favre was like, "You don't have to, you know, have to do this. You can chill." He was like, "No, I want to play." And clearly, like, one of those times where like he scores a goal, it means so much to him. But just in general, like, I'm I'm not trying to be like indie rock guy here, but like watching the the average Bundesliga game versus the average Premier League game. I think I'm tipping Bundesliga this year. Or do you think it's just Dortmund? Because we were talking about that at that. After no, this was at Schalke, well. man. I mean, I know that those games specifically, like Dortmund games, tend to get pretty wild. But mm. there's enough teams, like whether it's Leipzig or Hoffenheim or Frankfurt, it's true. or it's true. You know, even Bayern. Like, oh, you mean like in the in the context of like we. I feel like we talked about this before. It's just yeah. kind of like flipping on the TV and like the most if you're watching yeah. like. You're more likely to watch like Stuttgart and uh, Cologne than you are to watch like Burnley Everton. Burnley Everton. Yeah. yeah, and then so I just I just wanted to mention that it was a really great game. But if you get a chance, like Sancho is the one man. Like Jaden is really, really, really great. Yeah, we were we were after the De Classicer kind of uh, imagining what his transfer fee would be. That's really tough. Because he's 18, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that if he's smart, he stays at Dortmund for at least another season. Not yeah. because, yeah, like, agreed. I'm like, you you have to, like, earn your keep. But, like, he's going to get to be the focal point of one of the most exciting attacking teams in Europe versus being, like, the guy off the bench for City or United. And racially abused at Stanford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should say, though, this weekend, huge match. Your respective teams. Liverpool, Manchester United at Anfield, Sunday the 16th. Chris, are you nervous? No, I'm a little emotionally exhausted. This schedule makers really screwed Liverpool here. I just feel like uh, th there's just been a lot happening. Wait, so they went from the Merseyside Derby to Bournemouth to this Napoli, now United? Yeah. It's quite a run. Yeah, and then yeah. we're not even in Christmas yet. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, it's, it's not be, even a congestion yet. They've so. played a lot of their top four rivals away already. So the second half of the season should be a little bit easier in that regard. But this is what we were talking about with... With Europe, these fixtures are going to start happening three games a week. Um, I, I I smell a draw here, yeah. personally. I'm, I, I'm smelling a United win for some reason. Mike, do <sighs> you think Pogba breaks the 11? Seems like a match that, this is the kind of stage, I think, where he, you know, he might not give a shit at Watford, but I feel like at Anfield. Th listen, there is <laughs> honestly almost no value in predicting what well, what the team sheet will look like. Because, I mean, ahead of the Arsenal match, both Lukaku and Pogba were dropped. And, I mean, like, fair enough, you know, they were they had been underperforming, but they are also two of your best players. And in any, in any case, I mean, like, a 4-1 win over Fulham at the weekend, I, I, you would think that this false would positive. be like, yeah, exactly, false positive, worst team in the league. If... 
they, I, I mean, like, I bet they set up defensively and it's a KG scoreless draw. I think one thing's for sure. I don't think, well, maybe not for sure, given Jose's lineups, but I think Diego Delo has, will keep Valencia out of the lineup henceforth. Hmm. Well, yeah, Aren't I mean, you impressed, like, Michael? He was good. Yeah, he was good. I mean, like, I, I enjoy that he likes to get forward and he also, you know, doesn't shirk his defensive responsibilities. I think that, yeah, I, I could see him. I don't know about Mourinho's claim that he'll be United's right back for 10 years to come, but he definitely will keep Valencia out of the team for a while, I feel like. Chris says a draw. Micah sounds like you're leaning draw as well. Yeah, I think draw. I say United 2-1 and there will be a touchline dust-up. Between Klopp and Mourinho. Why Something not? for the Sure. <laughs> sure. Klopp's going to celebrate in front of Mourinho and it's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be great. <laughs> We're going to take a break here. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Thanks, guys. And then after this break, uh, Mike and I will return to introduce our special guest. All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about Lisa. A quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster, prevent burnout, make better decisions, improve your memory, and overall make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing, it's science. To design a better mattress to give you a quality night's sleep, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of scientific testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's rest for everybody. Through their 110 program, they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell. That's more than 31,000 mattresses and counting. Lisa strives to leave the world better than they found it, but that doesn't stop with mattress donations. Together with the Arbor Day Foundation, Lisa plants one tree for every mattress they sell. Give yourselves the gift of a better night's rest this holiday. Get $160 off a Lisa mattress at lisa.com slash FC and use promo code FC at checkout. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash FC, promo code FC. Here's a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there waiting to be booked. And Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell those unsold rooms, which means you get incredible deals. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you've got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through never-ending lists. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals at cool hotels they'll think you'll love. And they even give short profiles on each hotel, complete with all the info you need and pictures of what rooms really look like. Plus, even though their name's Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can also book in advance. Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips, booking a place with a pool, and more. So, to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. And we're back, back with a very special guest. Uh, we're doing Premier League burning questions because we're about halfway through the season. While I was on vacation last week, Micah had a chance to interview the Premier League's all-time leading goal scorer. Who's that, Micah? Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer, the Newcastle legend. He was in New York. Micah's, of course, in LA, so this was a phone interview. But Alan was in, in New York as part of NBC Sports Premier League Mornings Live Fan Fest at Pier 17. It's the second. I think the first one was in DC of several fan fests that they hold around the country throughout the season. 
Micah, t- tell me what it was like talking to Alan. Well, I mean, like it, it was it was sort of like talking to someone who scored 260 Premier League goals, you know? I, the, anyway, he was, he, you know, he was game. He was Alan, right? <laughs> yeah, he I was mean, Anyone he who was watches Alan Match Shearer. of the Day yeah, knows what Alan Shearer exactly. is like. No he nonsense. Was, he, was, he was Alan Shearer. That's, and, and I mean, like, it was it was good. He was he was willing to answer the question, the most of the questions. Um, it's funny because, like, in putting these questions together with you, we had a little bit. I mean, I'll let you guys, li- the listeners, listen to the interview shortly. But there were some silly questions that we tacked on at the end that he wasn't. Mm-hmm. It's not that he bristled, but he was just. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't feeling them too tough. But he yeah. he did <laughs> he did at least make an attempt to answer some of them. Yes. Yes, um, he, did. he he was a good sport. He was a re- he was a really good sport. He was a really good sport. And note that this interview did take place last Friday. That's before the weekend's Premier League action. So some of the questions, like the very first one about City being invincible, are already <laughs> are outdated. already outmoded. Yeah, but you know that it was it's it's still good. It's still good entertainment. Yeah, it is. So without further ado, here is Micah interviewing Alan Shear. Will City pull off an invincible season? We discussed this last year just because, I mean, like, they they are an unstoppable juggernaut, you know, finishing, winning the Premier League pretty emphatically last season and somehow getting even better this season. Do you think that they'll be able to finish it out unbeaten? No, I think uh, you can't be brilliant in every single game, although that's that, 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 that doing a good job of it. I mean, like, it's definitely even, say, on a weekend like the last where Laporte and Aguero and De Bruyne all had to sit. And, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, like, they, they lost a card up yeah, in the... Yeah, you just never know whether it's a poor decision from a referee or a decision from one, one of the players or someone get a red card. Or the, and you're up against it. I just, I just think it, 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 it'll, it'll happen once uh, throughout the... Throughout this uh, this season, that things don't go uh, as to plan. So, but I'm not saying that it'll be impossible because of the players that they've got. Anything is anything is possible, really. <laughs> yeah. Who is the best team in London right now, and who will be the best team in London at the end of the year? Um, as we sit here, Tottenham are sat in third position, aren't they, in the uh, in the Premier League? Yes. Uh, although they were beaten off Arsenal last weekend, uh, Arsenal are on a run of 20 games uh, unbeaten now. I know they had a tough start when they played City and Chelsea and um, and were uh, and were beaten in the first two games. But 20 games is, is an incredible run, incredible achievement um, with the new manager as well because we're not out, we know how difficult it is when a manager who has been at a football club for such a long time and then for a new guy to come in and change everything uh, everything over um, so I'm going to go I'm going to go against the trend and against the league and I'm going to say Arsenal at this moment in time 
Yeah, they had, I mean that that the four two win that they pulled off, despite the very ugly two two draw at Old Trafford soon afterward, was very impressive, especially mm. Lucas Torreira's yeah. goal. Speaking of managers, speaking of new ones coming in and changing everything over, who will win a trophy first of uh, the 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 managers with the most goodwill, Klopp and Pochettino? Mm, that's a good question. They both have to win a trophy pretty soon because of. <laughs> We can't keep saying about Tottenham that they have all these great young players coming up and from their youth system and uh, take coming in, taking on the big boys. Then they, they can't look back and they've got they're moving into this magnificent new stadium. Both Tottenham and Liverpool can't look back in five or six years' time and say, oh, "Well, we should have done this or we should have done that." And they have to win a trophy and have to win one pretty soon. Um, probably Liverpool. Just because of the options that they have up front with Firmino, Mane, Salah, and when you look at Tottenham, if if, if Harry Kane's out, then you, you do look around to say, well, because he is so integral to that that team. Whereas if you take one of the three out at Liverpool, it, it it won't make such a huge difference. So Liverpool. I mean, like in addition to having one of the best front, the most fearsome front threes in Europe, they have also fixed their defending problem uh, by and large. Yeah, they have. They, they, they're a much better team since they signed Van Dijk to uh, to, to to sit and organise and, and show his experience, and also obviously spent big on a, on a goalkeeper as well. So they're much much better defensively. Another team that spent huge over the summer was Fulham, over a hundred mil, a hundred million pounds. Um, but yeah, uh, which of these newly promoted teams—Cardiff City, Fulham, and Wolves—will stay up? Do you think? Wolves definitely. Wolves definitely, even though uh, Nuno Espirito Santo has been having a bit of a wobble as of late. Well, they were as of late, but they just beat Chelsea in uh, in midweek at home. So, um, and they're still in and around. They got the three points in uh, in midweek. They're going to be hopefully beaten at the weekend because they play my team Newcastle on Sunday. <laughs> but um, yeah, Wolves. Um, been, uh, even in the games they were they, they were getting their poor results. They were being beaten. They were still showing um, something in those games that showed me that they have enough to definitely stay in the Premier League this season. Uh, what about Burnley, who have been? Uh, well, according to head coach Sean Dyche, you know, victims of their own success, so to speak. We already know what the problems are, really. It's that they're scoring the exact same amount of goals, but conceding at a rate of almost two a game. Are Burnley yeah. going to go down? Well, they need to improve dramatically, because when I, when I have seen Burnley, they have been very poor. But for Burnley, huge success for Burnley would be, would be staying in the Premier League. I mean, for them to achieve what they achieved last season and, and finish in the European place. Um, which is, it's just incredible. When you look at the ground, when you look at the budget, um, when you look at their players, uh, everything else, it's, it's a miracle that Burnley are actually in the Premier League. Um, but they have to improve dramatically because they have been really poor this season. That they have. Now that we've kind of talked about, well, not necessarily overrated, maybe they're just properly related at this point, but... Let's talk about overrated players. Who is the most overrated player in the league? The most underrated? Most underrated? I don't know whether he's underrated anymore, but we, um, the, the young boy at Arsenal has been fantastic, Torreira. 
Oh, yeah. Um, didn't get into the team on a regular basis to begin with. Is now in the team and making a huge statement. So I wouldn't. I'm not necessarily underrated, but he's he's taking his uh, taking his chance now, and it, it, he might just be what Arsenal have been lacking over the last few years. Is someone to to sit and protect that um, that defensive line, whether it's three or four at the back, whether they play. But he's been magnificent. Um, I don't know whether there is any overrated one. I'm not. I'm not. I don't think anyone. Everyone knows everyone in our league. That's a good point. That's a very good point. But also, yeah, uh, Torreira, I would say, well, yeah, not anymore, but would have been the most underrated player. I mean, he's definitely what Arsenal have been missing, that kind of Gilberto-type player that can be the deep-lying midfielder that also gets things going forward. He always wants to go forward as well, which is great. Who's the most talented player outside of the the top six, excluding Manchester United? Also, like another one of our hosts, uh, Chris Ryan, was actually in London and watched, uh, got to see Ryan Sessegnon up close last year and said that it was just kind of like very much, it's very clear that he's quality, just kind of in the, maybe possibly in the wrong place. Well, you said that I didn't. Fulham fans won't appreciate that, but I understand (laughs) what you mean. Yeah. (laughs) So... Here's another thing. Uh, with uh, United, they Mourinho kind of put out a weirdish Fergie side against Arsenal. Was kind of just the the idea was getting at the, I mean, like putting Arsenal under pressure, making them forcing them into mistakes, just kind of being disruptive by and large. But it's definitely. A different eleven from what we've seen a bunch of other times this season. That it's changed over the first team has changed over a lot. So, do you think that Mourinho knows what his best eleven is? And if not, then what is United's best eleven? Well, clearly he doesn't because he's naming different players, um, he's naming different systems. Um, that's because of both players that aren't in form and, and injuries are no. But no, he's, he's not. He hasn't got a settled eleven. He's searching for an eleven that's going to work for him and work on a regular basis. And that's been part of the problem at uh, at Old Trafford this year, and one of the reasons why they haven't played well. Another thing is that, like at the beginning of as the team sheets were coming out for the midweek game against Arsenal, uh, a lot of people were reporting on the fact that. The, the conspicuous absence of Romelu Lukaku and Paul Pogba. And Paul Pogba, Jose Mourinho, has been an ongoing saga. And there's, I mean, like, the the only logical progression of this is that he ends up somewhere else, but, or it seems that way, at least. One of them has to go. But if Paul Pogba does go, what team does he play for next season? Or do you think he stays? Well, I think he stays. No, I think he... Uh... He signed for huge money. He's a World Cup winner. Um, hasn't played anywhere near what we know he can do um, this season. But no, I, I think he, uh, I think he will stay. Yeah. 
How do you solve a problem like Newcastle? You recently were talking about Mike Ashley's claims that he was going to be selling the club, that Peter Kenyon has been rumored to to be in the running for buying it. I mean, is is that the solution or is it something else? Well, Mike, Mike said that he wants to sell the football club. So um, the solution for Newcastle is is to, yeah, is to to find a new owner who wants who's willing and wants to uh, to invest in the football club um, to give the manager um, who's doing an incredible job Rafa Benitez to give him funds to strengthen the team um, and then everyone can look forward and, and be more positive about the future another thing about the future of the Premier League will VR reduce the number of referee contra- controversies in the PL next season yes think about the the way that what it does to the pacing of the game well that, that, that in itself I hope that because players might have to be a little bit subdued in their celebrations etc I'm, I'm hoping that in regards to emotions and taking the feeling and the atmosphere out of the game I'm hoping it's not going to impact on it too much which non Premier League player do you currently wish was playing in the Premier League Messi Messi, I, I mean, like, yeah, you got, you got to say Messi. I, it's, I totally understand. I didn't have to say Messi. You asked me. I just said it, Messi. <laughs> From your observation, which Premier League team has the strongest supporter base in the U.S.? I know that you're in New York at for the big Premier League mornings live event with uh, NBC Sports this weekend. There's going to be Chelsea versus Man City, Leicester, Tottenham. Great games, great fixtures, but. Yeah, like which which team would you say has the strongest supporter base in the US? Well, you know what 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 impressed me most when I was here when I was in Washington 6 or 7 weeks ago doing the, an identical event to what we're doing tomorrow is that because there was there were there were thousands of fans there that it wasn't just Manchester United or Liverpool or Arsenal. There was there were fans who were supporting every club and that that was one of the most impressive things that I that I found six or seven weeks ago, and hoping that I see the same tomorrow. I'm sure I will here in uh, in New York. That there were Newcastle, there were Bournemouth, there were Leicester, there were Brighton, there were there were there were fans from every single uh, football club in the Premier League, and that was what stood out um, for me most. Would you have considered the MLS if you had the option to play in the U.S. when your PL career was winding down? Yeah, I would have. Who do you think is going to win the MLS Cup, Atlanta or Portland? Well, Atlanta are clear favourites on me, but you just you never know. Um, so yeah, I would I would have to go along with the favourites. To finish us off, I've got three kind of silly-ish offbeat questions. 
You don't have to ask the silly ones if you don't want to. <laughs> no, but I I do want to ask you this one because I'm dying to know which player, which Premier League player do you think has the best hair transplant? Do you think I'm in a good position to talk about hair transplant? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say that it was, I mean, the obvious answer here is Andrus Townsend, but... Has he had one, has he? If I could send you screen grabs of his time at, say, Tottenham versus now when he has this full flat top, I mean, if it's not, then it is the most resilient hairline I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Did you get a chance to watch the Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder fight? No, I didn't watch it. I saw the highlights. Okay. What did you think of Tyson Fury popping up like The Undertaker in the 12th round? It really does. I, I couldn't believe it. It was honestly, I, yeah. yeah, it was like it was like watching Brad Pitt get up and snatch. But the um, he was also he spent this uh, this past week watching football as everyone does, and he gave an interview after the Arsenal Manchester United game talking about where he might like to have the rematch. Do you think it should be at Wembley or Old Trafford? It should be at Man City Stadium. It should be at the Etihad. Uh, Neymar was in an Instagram video with Benjamin Mendy over the weekend teasing a possible future in the Premier League if Neymar does come to the Premier League how does his first game go what happens he gets booked for diving (laughs) he gets booked for diving most likely yeah I was gonna say that probably a couple of harsh tackles booked for diving and then like maybe a brace Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much for rifling through these Premier League burning questions with me. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. And that was Micah's interview with Alan Shearer. Who's next on your interview wish list? Next on my interview wish list. Mm. Rio Ferdinand? That would be a good interview. (laughs) Rio Ferdinand would be a pretty great interview. Yeah. All right, Rio, if you're listening or if anyone who's listening knows Rio. Come on, Ringer FC. Get in our DMs. (laughs) Uh, We are usually on every other week, as Ringer FC fans know, but because of the holidays, we will be on next week, December 18th, before taking a hiatus for the holidays. Micah, you'll be with me, right? Uh, Yes, I will. We'll be talking about United's 2-1 victory over Liverpool (laughs) and the dust-up between Klopp and Mourinho. Can you believe that Mourinho gave him a wet willy? (laughs) I'm looking into the future now. Anyway, thank you, Micah. Thank you for doing that interview. Of course. It was a great time. We'll be back next Tuesday. See you then. Hey there, Ringer FC listeners. Let's talk a little more about Hotel Tonight. By showing you top-rated hotels with unsold rooms, Hotel Tonight makes it easy to book your stay at an amazing rate. And even though their name's Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance. 
Perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, three-day weekends, vacations, road trips, business trips, or just booking a place for the pool. So to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now.